You're listening to the Longer Hall Youth Ministry Podcast with Jody Livingston and Chris Trent. Episode number 68. Welcome to the Longer Hall Youth Ministry Podcast, helping you survive and thrive in youth ministry. And now, your hosts, Jody Livingston and Chris Trent. Well, hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. Thanks for tuning in and listening wherever you are and wherever this finds you. Thanks for making this podcast today a part of your day. If it's your first time checking out the show, welcome. We are glad you are here. And if it's not your first time and you're a glutton for punishment, you just keep coming back, keep listening. Well, thanks for coming on back. We're glad you're a part of the Longer Haul community. If you enjoy the podcast, what you find here, we would love for you to share it with other youth pastors and youth workers that you think would also benefit from it. And also make sure you subscribe to the show so that you can get the goodness every time a new episode drops. Uh, Chris, Trent, and I are youth pastors, just like you, in and around. And uh, summer has us running a bunch of different directions. And so Chris is actually away at camp this week. So it's just me holding down the fort here. Uh, But he will be back. And I hope he's having a good week at camp. I'm sure he is. Talk to him a little bit. Sounds like it's uh, it's going going great. So you can connect with us, though, here beyond the podcast on social media. You can find us at uh, Jody Livingston, Jody Y, and Chris Trent. And, of course, The Longer Haul over on the Facebook. Uh, all of the links and resources that we are going to mention today in this episode, you can find on the show notes page over at thelongerhaul.com slash episode 068. That's thelongerhaul.com slash episode 068. Uh, so, man, I'm excited about today's episode, talking about youth ministry in small church, and uh, got a great guest here today on to talk about that, Stephen Hale. He is the creator uh, and host of the Youth Ministry Small Church Podcast, so he's going to drop all kinds of wisdom on us today, I'm sure. Uh, before we get to that, let's. I want to thank our sponsor, uh, YM360. They are a primo provider of all things youth ministry, particularly Bible study curriculum, student devotionals, disciple now curriculums, youth leader development stuff, man, even summer camp experiences through Generate Camp, uh, which is where Chris is actually this week. So if you've not checked out YM360, please head over to ym360.com and uh, check out Youth Ministry 360 there. Tons of good resources. uh, They've just dropped a couple new pieces of curriculum, uh, that are fantastic on that. And uh, Chris and I were just talking, actually coming off the back end of summer here. Uh, they've got some, even some really good mission trip stuff as well. So uh, you, because you're awesome and you're a listener of the Longer Hall, part of the Longer Hall community, they have offered uh, just for you to give a 20% off discount to you on your next order. Just make sure you use the promo code Longer haul. So that's ym360.com. Be sure to use the promo code Longer Hall and you can save some money. And we all like saving money. So, uh, hey, with all that said and all that out of the way, we will jump in here to today's interview with Stephen Hale talking about youth ministry in small churches. And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. 
Well, hey, Stephen, thanks for taking some time and jumping on the show here today. Man, I appreciate it yeah, very thanks, much. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I, uh, I've always really appreciated your podcast. So, Yeah, well, thanks. Here. You're our one loyal listener. Uh, we're, <laughs> <laughs> and we're grateful. I'm excited to have you on, uh, particularly to talk about the topic today as we talk about youth ministry in small churches. I think it's, a, uh, unfortunately, maybe a topic that often gets taken for granted. It seems like much of the noise and the help and resources that we find in youth ministry, uh, I don't know if it intentionally does or not, but it seems often to uh, somewhat lean, if not cater to, a larger ministry and larger church. I think it's really important for us um, today as we we dive in. But let's do this first. Uh, So for folks who are listening who may not know you, not familiar with you or your podcast, Youth Ministry Small Church, uh, how about take just a, a couple minutes here, introduce yourself, tell them a little bit about you, your journey in youth ministry, uh, maybe about the podcast, what the, what's the point of the podcast, your focus there and all that, and then we'll jump in. Yeah, so my um, I got involved in youth ministry after I did a round of seminary, and I, I actually went to seminary as much to sort out some of my own frustrations with my faith and uh, things that, that um, I was thinking about. Uh, so I, but I get got out of seminary, and I was thinking, you know, like I've uh, I got to find a job, you know, and so I was still pretty <laughs> frustrated with lots of churches. So I made a I made a list of all the things about different churches that I didn't like. You know, it was pretty um, not the most character I ever had, uh, but but that's <laughs> what I did. And so I had a list of churches that, that basically that I wasn't angry at yet, and so. Um, I started applying to to churches that made it through my somewhat immature grid and wound up at this um, little church in Orange County, California. Um, it was a, it's sort of a post-Asian church is what I like to call it. Uh, it was founded as an English-speaking Chinese-American congregation a couple of generations ago by the United Methodist Church out in California um, in Orange County. And so it was this interesting cultural experience. Uh, and at the same time, um, it was a, it was a small church had about 110 folks on your average Sunday morning and it shared a facility. It was co-owned by another church that was similarly a small church. And, um, so I was, I was youth pastor, youth director at this church and connecting to other Methodists, especially Methodists try to connect with other Methodists, like a lot of denominations. And, and I realized that almost all of the youth directors I was meeting, um, were pastoring in small churches, were in small churches. And so over time I, I paid more attention to this and I realized that on one hand, a lot of these folks had a lot more experience than I did. And so they, um, uh, you know, definitely knew a lot of practical things that I didn't know. I also saw a few other things. One, very few of them had any like theological training. And two, there was a super high turnover in that community. Uh, there were some youth directors I knew who had been around for a long time. And then there were some I knew who had been around like three months, six months, nine months. Um, and and so over time, I, I just realized that there there weren't a lot of resources to help these new folks get up to speed quickly. 
Um, and uh, that w- that's something I thought about for a long time. How do, how do you do that more effectively and what can we do? Uh, and finally, I just said, you know what? This is not just a problem of my local area. It's not just a problem of my particular um, community. This is a problem in the United States, you know. Most uh, American churches are small churches. Half of the churches in the United States, for example, have less than 75 people. And um, most of those youth directors have either been at it for a long time or are pretty new and could really use some some tools to help them get up to speed pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, so that's how I started uh, the Youth Ministry Small Church podcast. Um, since I, I was at that church for about four years, and then shifted to a slightly bigger church. I'm actually slightly outside of the uh, the size perimeters for my own podcast, but uh, <laughs> I'm pastoring this. Uh, I'm a youth director at this great church in Redondo Beach. Man, I'm like a block from the ocean. Uh, the weather's great. I drive in from relatively hot Southern California to nice ocean breezes every day, and my church is healthy. The people there are great. I love my community and I'm, I'm living the dream, you know, I'm full time. I actually get a paycheck. It's, it's beautiful. That, that, that helps. It does. It does. Yeah. And so many of us are unpaid, you know, or, or paid peanuts. Yeah. Like I know here, so, uh, I am in the Atlanta, Georgia area and I know like in our state, just within our, just within our denomination, I think 85% of the churches, uh, are volunteer led. Okay. Right. So that's, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a very high percentage. Yeah. And um, if you're volunteer led, you don't have, you probably barely have time to pull off the basics of your job. You sure don't have time to invest a whole lot in yourself. Yeah. And I've been there. I've done that. Um, I started that way, you know, and so, uh, it's not that you can't be effective, but it looks different. Yeah. It looks different. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I realized over time that there were, there were like stuff, there were things that if people had just told me um, these like real shorthand tips, I would have immediately become markedly more effective with like a five minute conversation. Yeah. 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 It's the, it's the little things you learn along the way. Right. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, let me ask this before we, before we jump in here, uh, how would you maybe just as a benchmark for those listening, um, how would you define when we talk about small church, you mentioned the parameters there for your podcast, but what does that look like? Yeah, I think a small church. So um, people who study churches have noticed that churches operate differently and they come to like growth limits. So you see lots of churches that have, man, where's some of these limits at? One is around like 70 or 80 people. You see a whole lot of churches around that size. And that's because to break through that, limit, you sort of have to start to function differently. You see, there's another wall around like 110, 120 people on a Sunday morning, on your average Sunday morning. There's another one at around 200 folks. Um, and there's, and then you start to get some that are around four or 500. And some of those, those are guidelines, of course, like in different communities, attendance patterns are a little bit different, but, but the, at least the basic principle I think is helpful because it helps us see that churches function differently when they're different sizes. And so the size that I usually quote on the podcast is around 110, 120 or smaller. Uh, because that, that 
church size tends to be the church size that functions in a specific way. But it should also be noted, like if we've got time to talk about it, that attendance patterns are shifting in the United States. And so sometime, if your church is the sort of church where people come to church three or four times a month, in that case, you're thinking like 110 folks on a Sunday morning. But that's not true in a lot of the country anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, uh, what is the book? Um, Taking Your Church to the Next Level. Okay. Uh, talks about those those kind of barriers breaking through, um, how to move beyond that. I mean, how to kind of lead through that to the next spot. Um, so he, he mentioned some of that. that you know, I, I think when I think small church, that's kind of what I'm thinking as well. And, and, uh, and, and really, and I, I, I guess like you're saying too, it's more of a guideline than, than a flexible or in kind of a flexible number rather than kind of a set in stone uh, thing. And, and I think what I've realized over the years is, regardless of your size it there's always somebody bigger and there's always somebody smaller <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. and uh it, sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel that way but it but the reality is it's it's usually true yeah uh, yeah so in the tiniest churches or the biggest and you can be in a healthy situation small church doesn't mean unhealthy either yeah that's right man i remember i was in this class once in seminary and they brought in it was like a practical ministry sort of class and they brought in this guy who was talking about had a reputation for growing churches and he came in and he's sort of laying out he's trying to uh, get through a lot of content quickly and so he winds up saying things like so then i did this then i did this then i did this like he made it a lot more black and white than I, I think he really intended to. But anyway, at the end of the conversation, there were a lot of people that were deeply offended by what he said. And one of those folks said, uh, my church is not going to grow. I'm in a town. I'm pastoring in a town of the whole town has like 250 people. My church has 45. Like how big do you want it to get? You know? And I thought that was a really important point. Some of us are just in like if you're in a small town, well, that's you're in a different context than I am in Southern California, you know. Yeah, I think I heard Larry Osborne once at a training I was at say, uh, "There's this myth that all healthy things grow," mm. and he said, "You know, uh, it's true for a while, but if you as a person continue to grow and never stop growing, then we would label you diseased, right?" And so it's it's. Growth is good and it's healthy to a point, but at a certain point, most healthy things actually stop growing. Uh, and, you know, so we should always be reaching, but sometimes you just have what you have and that's, that's perfectly okay. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's such a pressure in uh, church culture, especially to continue to grow, to be the, to be bigger, you know, yeah. like bigger is better and, yeah, yeah, I think churches are a lot better off focusing on mission and are they doing the work of Jesus in their community and in the world. And if they focus on that, sometimes growth comes from that and sometimes it doesn't, but you're doing the work, you, you know, you're doing what you're called to do. Yeah, and I uh, you know, I think I've heard, and I don't remember where this originated. This may have been may have been in sustainable youth ministry, but like as a benchmark. So, just to kind of fray, uh, put uh, youth ministry number kind of in perspective. Um, like you generally are looking between 10 and 15% of your attendance as a healthy marker 
yeah. for student ministry. So if you're in a church, you know, 100, 110, and you've got 15 kids coming, that's, that's great. great. Yeah. I mean, that's great. You should be proud of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, I th- and I think that's a really helpful marker. Um, a- another one actually comes, from, again, from Mark DeVry, who wrote Sustainable Youth Ministry, the book you mentioned. He says that you should be spending 700 to to $1,000 a year per youth, and that should count the salaries of your youth ministry staff. Yeah. I, I think that's a pretty helpful guideline, too. Uh, if you're spending, you know, and of course that depends, that can vary a little bit. If you live in New Mexico or West Virginia, the, some of the poorest states in the country, I bet you're on the low end of that, maybe even slightly lower. If you're in, uh, Southern California where everything's crazy expensive, you're probably on the high end of that, maybe even a little higher, but I think most of the, it's a helpful guideline, you know? Yeah, for sure. And cost of living is certainly has got to be a factor there. Like you're saying. Uh, yeah. As well. Okay, so let's talk about this. What are some uh, challenges that are specific to youth ministry in a small church, smaller church? Man, I think before we get into the actual challenges, sometimes it's it's helpful just to acknowledge the uh, psychological challenges of being in a small church. Yeah, I think a lot of us, especially like my age, my age group and older, I'm a I'm an old millennial. I'm al- almost a generation Xer. And um, I think a lot of us feel like the good youth ministries, we wouldn't say it this way, but in our head, that's how we perceive it. The good youth ministries have big flashy bands. They've got lights, you know, they've got dynamic speakers who stand up and talk for 20 minutes and give these impassioned pleas. And, uh, and they go on, you know, four mission trips a year and, and they're able to rent out an entire summer camp on, you know, they're, they're big. And I just don't think that's true. I think we we get insecure in small churches sometimes, um, but uh, but I don't think we should. I think small churches have a ton of strengths that we'll talk about in a few minutes. So the first challenge of being in a small church is just being a little insecure about it sometimes. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And, and I think a lot of that probably is driven because most of the people that have been able to gain a platform – in youth ministry generally comes from larger contexts. Yeah. And so it's like we unintentionally feel like that is the marker that we're aiming for. Yeah. And, yeah. I think that's a good point. You know, I mean, I think si- again, going back, I just think there, we could talk, we could be, t- we could be having a podcast right now talking about any size ministry mm-hmm. and we would have a whole huge list of advantages and disadvantages. It's it's not like the bigger we get, the less, the the shorter the list. Um, and so I, yeah. I think I think that's good perspective though. That, that's yeah. that's a great place to start. Yeah. So I think other more concrete things that small churches struggle with almost almost all of them depend on your particular congregation. But but some things that are common are sometimes small churches struggle to come up with funds to pay for stuff. Yeah, that can be difficult. Um, especially, I think you especially see that in, um, the youth minister's salary. (laughs) So your youth minister is almost certainly part-time, um, paid for five, 10, 15 hours a week, and then working twice that that's a very typical small church problem. Yeah. Other, other ways that money problem can manifest itself is sometimes, 
Um, some churches that are small will have trouble uh, funding good youth ministry programming because they have so much trouble coming up with money. Uh, mm-hmm. Small churches tend to uh, tend to. This isn't always true. Like some small churches have a building they've had for a hundred years and everything's paid off, and and actually the budgets got a little bit of flex in it. But but sm- some small churches really have some pretty substantial budget struggles. And that means there's not a lot of uh, money laying around for youth ministry. I remember when I was at um, that first church in Orange County, there was no youth ministry budget. And we did, and everyone expected families to simply pay for whatever event we went to. And I was new, so I thought that made sense at first. And now looking back, I, I can't imagine how that, how how I worked under those conditions, right? You yeah, just need sure. at least a small budget to, uh, like, who's going to pay for soccer balls, right? Right. There's no specific kid to pay for soccer balls. So, well, and in some cases, the church may not even be operating on a quote unquote budget, uh, and maybe it's funds, right? I was in that situation where I had the youth fund. And yeah, so, what did if, that look like? if somebody felt like they wanted to give to the youth fund, they'd give to it, and if they didn't. They didn't. And I remember I was their first youth pastor when I got hired and I was part-time. And I said, so what happens when this money's gone? And their, their comment to me was, uh, Oh, people always give to that. It'll never run out. Um, well, like two months later, now that you're doing stuff for students and it wasn't, we're not talking like a ton of money in this fund. Okay. (laughs) Like I didn't, it's like I went and blew all this money, just small things like that. Yeah, it, it was it was drying up quick, and then um, so they had to kind of we had to back up and, and evaluate what the, does that really look like on an ongoing basis? Because if you're gonna be doing things, then it's gonna cost some money. Yeah, yeah, and I, that reminds me of the second point I wanted to bring up. Small churches typically have le- they're less um, less organized, so they have less um, thought into. Th- the details of how their systems work because in a small church, you can make a lot happen just through relationship. And so most small churches lean a lot more heavily into relationship than systems and structures at bigger churches. So that's why I think a lot of that stuff happens that way because in a big, in a, even if you go up a level uh, in church size, people realize you have to have budgets for any programming. Yeah. And sometimes that's, that's just not obvious that you're in a small church, probably the only person who has any, has ever even read a book on how to manage a church is the pastor. And maybe the pastor hasn't even, you know. Sure. Yeah. And there's so many relationships that you're having to work within and, yeah. and generally a lot of deep rooted history mm-hmm. um, in that case yeah, as right. well. So, yeah, that's good. That's fair. Uh, what What do you think? Like just some practical things that you that would like. Okay, how do you work around that? How do you combat that? Like, you just yeah. fundraise like crazy. I mean, that's kind of what we ended up doing for a while. Yeah, I think I think in situations like that, you have to have sort of a, especially if you've already come into this situation. Um, you know, most of my listeners are listening because they've already taken the job. And so they're (laughs) trying to figure out how to make the best of, uh, the difficult parts of their situation. So I think if you're already there, you sort of need probably a short-term 
plan and a medium term plan. The short term plan might be to figure out how to get by for six months or so. I think the medium term plan needs to uh, be to have some conversations with church leadership and help them understand why these things matter. And to do that, you're going to have to take them a list of expenses, uh, things that things that fall outside of uh, whatever the the limiting problem is. So in my case, um, where I wasn't given a budget, I was we did a car wash once a year, which would raise about six hundred bucks, and that was expected to cover all the little odds and ends of the youth ministry budget through the year. So in retrospect. I should have gone to the budgeting committee and uh, the church council is how Methodist churches work usually and taken a list of expenses for the last year and, you know, a spreadsheet and said, listen, I spent a thousand dollars last year on stuff and I avoided spending lots of other money that I should have spent that would have made the ministry more effective because all I had was this goofy system. I need to be given uh, a budget of 1500 bucks a year plus this car wash, you know, maybe taking some numbers from sustainable youth ministry and that, um, that Mark DeVry book that everybody talks about. Uh, <laughs> I think in your case, maybe, um, how, yeah. How did yours work? I forgot already. So it's kind of funds. Uh, now what happened is they realized over time, cause it, as the youth ministry began to grow and the children's ministry began to grow a little, and became more active that their fund system wasn't sustainable. People realize that in church right. leadership. But I was in a, this is a farming community. Okay. So uh, they didn't have budgets. They didn't need budgets. They had, it was like they used to, they just had cash, you know, like it's a farming community. So they, they made what they made and they spent what they made and that was it. There was no, um, there weren't a lot of like intangible expenses at that time. And uh, so it was, a, it was a bit of a stretch for them, but um, you know, as a, our pastor was able to help kind of lead in that direction. And, and part of that too, like, I like what you're saying, like, Hey, bring some tangible things. So if that's expenditures, like, I think you got to communicate that. Uh, and not obviously not in a demanding way or an arrogant way, or like we need to have this or we can't function. But I think you yeah. continually do that through vision of, hey, this is what the Lord is doing. This yeah. is what is happening as a result. Yeah. Like, not just, I think, here's what we need, but here's how this is, this is what this is accomplishing. Yeah. Yeah. You build, you build legitimacy through storytelling and inspiring people and, and creating hope. And then that helps people to believe in what you're doing and also to trust you and your job. I think a lot of new small church youth workers have trouble being trusted. Yeah. And, uh, no, I had that problem too. Yeah. Build that too. Yeah. Okay. So funny, uh, our finances, money, that's a, that's a certainly a, a challenge. What else? Other challenges? Um, man, the, some, another concrete thing that happens that almost never happens in bigger churches is what do you do if, uh, literally no youth show up to an event? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, stuff like that happens in small churches or maybe even worse. What do you do if only one youth shows up and now you have to figure out what do I do with this youth? Who's a, uh, you know, good person. Like God loves them. I'm here to serve this person, but I've probably got like uh, abuse prevention policies that limit what I'm allowed to do right now. 
And uh, like, what do you do? You know, and that is a pretty, um, pretty much a small church problem, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I remember. So that, that kind of that same church, um, that I'm talking about there, I was their first youth pastor again. And so for the first probably three months, my wife and I would show up on Wednesday nights and we were the only ones there yeah. unless someone happened to visit that week. And then we had students, but we didn't know them because they were guests. And of course wow. they never came back <laughs> because, because right. it was weird. And so, so how did you, how did you grow? Uh, I mean, I don't want a Jesus juke here. Okay. But honestly, when no one came, we just prayed. Uh, we prayed for the students who would come. We prayed that the Lord would continue to uh, encourage us and that he would add to that. And slowly, uh, we had some of our like children's ministry folks graduate up into youth ministry. So then we had a few middle schoolers, but it's like a handful, right? It's like two or three. So we just start kind of pouring in and investing into who we have and discipling who we have. And then they started bringing friends and then they started bringing friends. And before long, we had at least a, a good kind of a, a core group coming. And then it, it from there, they just kind of stayed engaged largely through high school and the middle schoolers continued to come. But it took a while. It took a while. It was a, it was a patience thing for sure. And I, I think that's... Like we talk about here on this podcast, like the longer haul, what does that look like? Well, it means that that in the end, consistency and perseverance wins the day. Um, that you, you can't, you just stay the course and, and trust that in the end, man, the Lord's going to honor that. And that was really difficult. I'm not going to lie. That was probably the most difficult period of my ministry because um, there's no one there, you know, yeah. and everyone knows that no one's there. Because everyone's asking, because they're now they're now paying you, although it's not much, to be the youth pastor, and no one's coming to what you're doing. It's like, well, you didn't have anybody really when we started. Um, so there was a few kids there. The church had a few students, but they were older high school kids, and they had never really had a uh, youth pastor, so they didn't really care to come to anything. So, yeah, that was tough. Yeah, yeah, that sounds brutal. <laughs> it was a long time, man. It felt like forever. Yeah. And and it was the most, the, probably the worst part was having those kids visit. And it didn't happen often, but it did happen a few times in there. And it's like, what do you do? What do you tell them? Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Hey, but I think there's a lot of advantages to being in a small church too. Yeah, so let's talk about those. Okay. Because I agree. So I, think I think there are a ton of advantages. Yeah. For for me, when I think about this, I notice the this one massive advantage that small churches have that I think pays off in a in a bunch of different ways. And that advantage is that small churches tend to be a lot more community driven. They function a little bit more like a, a big family. Yeah. And that that pays off in all the important ways. That's the stuff that uh, makes big churches jealous. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that's huge. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I think it's, you wind up, one of the core things that um, 
a lot of your listeners have probably heard of the growing young stuff that's come out of the Fuller Youth Institute. And before that, they were doing Sticky Faith. And so the Fuller Youth Institute has been trying to figure out what is it that creates long-term faith in in your youth group, right? And the youth that are in your youth group. And over time, they've done more and more research with this. But one of the things that they found that's pretty consistent is that one of the markers of youth who have who develop a sticky faith is that they have st- good relationships with multiple adults in the church. Yeah. Which is kind of odd, right? And in the in the model of youth ministry that like I grew up thinking was normal, where the youth go, they hang out in the basement and they hide in the basement and they're allowed to like spray paint on the walls and do crazy stuff down there and then you know, grandma just avoids going down there. Uh, you wind up sort of separating youth pretty dramatically. Um, but it's hard. It's much harder to do that in a small church, you know, in a small church, uh, chances are good that most of the adults in church know the names of the youth in your youth program, or at least most of them. And that almost necessarily, almost, yeah, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but like almost necessarily means that they're going to have some sort of relationship with those adults. No, that's and good. That it pays off massively for discipleship, especially if you kind of notice it and lean into it and foster a little bit. It's the it's the biggest. It's such a huge help for for discipleship. I think it was uh, Richard Ross. I heard at something I was at. I think it was him. And I can't remember where he was quoting or referencing something else. So it wasn't like his thing, you know, but it was along those lines. And I, and, I, and what he said, and it had come from a professor, so a professor at a Bible college. Uh, and this was kind of right when everything's coming out of like, oh, why are kids leaving? They're abandoning the faith. Everyone's leaving church. And he kind of said, okay, let's figure out why these kids who stay, who are actually in my class, this Bible college, what what do they have in common? What is it that causes them to stay? And so uh, what he found was that if, in his estimation, if a student had at least seven adults, godly adults investing in their life, there was almost a 100% chance they would stay in church after graduation. Um, which, man, seven? That's not, that's not hard. And that's especially not hard in a small church. Uh, so, you know, uh, that's a doable stat, if that's accurate. And that's a really doable yeah. stat. Um, do you do you have some sense of what it meant to be investing in their life? Uh, he didn't. He didn't specify in that. He just he said it could be anyone. Fr- he gave a range. It could be a neighbor. It could be a coach. It could be a parent. It could be a grandparent. It could be a youth worker. It could be a pastor. It could be, you know, but someone who is in some way connected in a relationship in that student's life who and i would imagine in some tour some form of like informal mentoring right and so um maybe they're maybe they're just kind of having coffee or lunch or they're just talking maybe it's a neighbor they just talk a lot or a coach you know or somebody um but kind of surrounding them and putting them in the relationship with adults who also love the lord um but that that came out huge and then there's a uh man what a episode i want to say seven that might be wrong let me check real quick uh i had there's a uh, steve parr is a guy here in georgia who has a fantastic book on along these lines 
uh, called Why They Stay. And if you've not read this book, I uh, highly recommend you doing so. And he kind of they kind of took the same approach where they um, they basically went and started looking at, okay, forget why they're leaving, okay? We, and there's tons of people talking about why they're leaving. But for the ones who are staying, what is it that's that's making them stay? Like, what are these things? And I'll tell you this. I won't give it away because I think everybody should go read the book. It will surprise you. Um, there are things that you would imagine that uh, would be important that are not factors. And, uh, and, and honestly, even in relevance to this conversation, uh, many of them do cater very well, n- more naturally to a small church setting. Um, so yeah, that's episode seven. So you can go to longerhall.com slash episode seven or zero zero seven and, uh, and check out that interview. But the book is called why they stay. Um, and, uh, it's so good, it, but it's just, they it's just data driven. So it's just surveys. They just, it's not opinion. It's not, I mean, it's very, very practical. Like they're not making it up. It's just the, it's the data that came back. It's very factual driven. So I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, the same kind of thing they found is, you know, like, like for example, I'll tell you one, uh, whether or not a student stays in high school after graduation has very little to do with the fact of whether they actually had a youth pastor or not. And that's super humbling, right? Yeah. Um, but one thing that did matter a lot is whether or not they liked their senior pastor of their church. Now it doesn't, uh-huh. doesn't do harm if they have a youth pastor, but it didn't, it wasn't a significant difference. It didn't move the needle much. And what, what they found, which, and he, and we talk about that in that interview, but it's great. I think uh, another advantage uh, small churches have be, with this relational thing is I think that works particularly well for Generation Z, for the people that are actually in our youth program right now. I think they're a lot more interested in connection and relationship than like they're more aware of it and cognizant of it and less impressed by flashy lights than previous generations were. And so this authenticity that, that you can get in relationships is a lot more important, um, at least across the, the generation in the United States. And that's a real strength of small church. Do you find that hard to... Because uh, I think there's a bit of a, a tension there that I find in these guys and girls in the sense that I think they crave those relationships. I think you're right. But I think they lack the social skills, maybe the emotional vocabulary for sure, often to facilitate that relationship. And maybe a small church is able to overcome those easier because you're almost forced into it. You can't hide as much. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm following you. Yeah, maybe that's true. What? So you've been around for a while, Jerry. Do you think that's a problem that's come up with since everybody's had a cell phone in their pocket and they can hide in social media? Or do you think that that's just something that happens to people when they're 12? I think it's probably a little of both in the sense that everybody starts trying to figure out who they are and wrestling with their own faith. But I think for sure the, the fact that there's a device in every student's hand 
doesn't help because what it allows them to do in conversation is it's no longer a face-to-face conversation. It's not even really a, so like when I was growing up, there's a big emphasis on, okay, firm handshake. You look someone in the eyes when you talk to them, you know, like those kind of things. Um, I don't know that anybody really even talks about that now. And so now you're primarily commuting through text or through Snapchat or through social media or I mean, even email as, as you get older. But what it does is it doesn't, it doesn't force you to have conversation. Um, Like if you text me, so let's say Stephen, you text me, I don't have to respond right away. Right. I can take some time. I can think about my response. Um, I can, and then I can craft uh, a text in reply. And so I'm not having to really respond. Plus all the nonverbals of communication are totally removed. Um, Right. And then every picture I'm going to post is going to be filtered. So it's not a genuine thing where if you and I are having a conversation face to face or even like this, I have to respond. Right. And right. so there's a deeper connection uh, just that comes more naturally because of that. And so because we've removed that perhaps from much of our communication, I think it makes uh, it, it widens that gap more so than it was 15, 20 years ago where no one had a phone. Uh, you know, you'd go away to camp and or a mission trip. We'd go off to a mission trip and there was no updating along the way. You know, like yeah, we'll be back yeah. at this time. Here's our flight number. Um, bye. And that was it. There was no, there was no pictures. There was no Facebook updates. There was no calling or texting or whatever. So it, it was just a different, uh, there were some ad- huge advantages to that as well. You know, we talk yeah. about that, but I feel like even watching them interact, I mean, uh, you, you've seen this, they're sitting at the same table. You're sitting across from each other. Why are you texting each other? Um, yeah. Why are you Snapchatting? Like, stop, like, look up, have, take a picture of something real at least and not the floor and put text over it. Like um, everything, everything Dude, seems to be so superficial, nuts. you know? Yeah. 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 And I think it's, man, it's, it's hard. I think as youth workers, it's hard to understand that, you know, and I'm, I'm always skeptical of being like the old man who doesn't understand this newfangled technology these whippersnappers are using and, and try and really understand like Marshall McLuhan stuff. Like how does this medium affect the message and what's really going on? Yeah. You know, some things are just different. And some things are better and some things are worse. Yeah. And I don't want to like, I don't want to be misunderstood or mistaken here that like, um, I'm saying those things are like evil or not useful. I think they are, but I think the, the fact that it's such a predominant means of communication at the expense of others, at the expense of, I think that hinders, because you know, like if I'm talking to students, even high school students now, and they say, uh, I just think I'm depressed. I feel like I'm depressed. Well, depression's a real thing, right? Like, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. When you say you're depressed, I'm having to ask, like, okay, what do you mean when you say you think you're depressed? Why do you think that? And so more times than not, it comes back to, they're just really sad, you know? And, and there's a difference between sadness and depression. And 
sadness can actually be healthy depending on the situation. Not always, but it can be. Or, uh, or I am having a ton of a panic, ton of panic attacks. Okay, well, what is a panic attack? What does that look like? And you, you're kind of walking through that, and then it's like I think you just have some anxiety things, which can certainly become panic attacks. But I, what you're showing and describing to me doesn't sound like that. And so, it's just this emotional vocabulary where we're hearing things. Uh, these students are constantly hearing things but they're not quite sure what they mean. And so because I I do think to a large extent, and I'm giving examples of there, but like I think because communication is, has become so frequently shallow that students don't know how to express themselves well. And that does hinder community. Yeah. So, yeah, but but I think so. One of the things I've noticed is, um, like, I'm a huge fan of one on ones. You know, anytime I can get a kid to go out with me to get ice cream, just sit there and talk to me for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, like I think it's it's fantastic, right? Because you they hear that they're valuable and somebody wants to sit and talk to them, and you learn a lot about like uh, about this particular person and things like that, and you get time to sit and help them learn to label their feelings yeah, yeah. and uh, have a normal conversation. This is how humans, this is how humans interact. Usually, you know, they'll look each other in the eye or I guess at least in the Western world, that's how we interact, right? We look each other in the eye. We talk, I say something, you say something. That's how we do it. Yeah. 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 And I think, uh, but I, I do love the fact and I think it is a huge advantage to small church ministry that it, it forces you into community and it, it, I say forces like that's a almost sounds a violent thing, but I think it just naturally happens where a lot of times in a larger ministry, you really have to work to keep that connection. And that, that can be a very difficult task um, to, to continue to do. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. You hear, you hear um, bigger churches when they talk about how to run small groups and stuff like that. A lot of what they're trying to do is foster the relationships and community that kind of just happen naturally. And Oh, sure. I mean, we do that. So like uh, when I was a youth pastor of 10 or 15 kids, that was the small group. That was it, you know, like, right. and exactly. now I have to facilitate, I have a whole bunch of small churches within, you know, I've got youth leaders who they are the youth minister for that kid because they've got 10 or 15 kids in their small group. And, and so now it's a whole new challenge of how do I, uh, how do I convey the importance of that to these leaders to let them see that, that they are the minister and that, and that becomes a whole new challenge on its own. So, yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, yeah. Hey, uh, before, before we wrap up here, if folks want to connect with you beyond this episode, what's the easiest way for them to do that? Um, they could find us online at youthministrysmallchurch.com. And then there's a bunch of contact information on that website, youthministrysmallchurch.com. It's a real subtle Yeah, name. yeah, yeah. I like it. Or you can uh, subscribe to the podcast, of course. We're on iTunes and all the other places you find podcasts. Uh, or of course, if you just want my email address, you can find me at Stephen at youth ministry, small church.com. And I'd, I'd love to talk cool. to folks. 
Um, is there a resource you throw out to folks before we, and we've mentioned a bunch kind of throughout, yeah, but we have. So I think if you are a new youth leader or you're interested in trying to figure out how to set up your youth ministry a little more effectively, Mark DeVries sustainable youth ministry is a book that comes up in literally every conversation I have with youth leaders. I think it's been mentioned on every single episode of youth <laughs> so far, but but there's another resource that's a little bit smaller and aimed at small churches, especially if you're new. Um, it adapts a lot of Mark DeVry's book. Mark DeVry uh, runs an organization that used to be called Youth Ministry Architects and is now just called Ministry Architects. And one of the people that works for him is a super cool woman named Stephanie Kato. Yeah. And she wrote a book with... Uh, a fellow named Brad Fiscus called Smaller Church Youth Ministry, No Staff, No Money, No Problem. It's about 100 pages, and it really gets to the point quickly um, and says, you know what, your youth group probably needs um, to be about this big. This is this is how to know if you're going to judge by size, this is what you're looking for. If you're trying to figure out how much money you should spend, this is what you're looking for. If you're trying to figure out what to emphasize in your youth ministry, this is what you're looking for. And it winds up covering a lot of the basics really quickly. And, uh, really quickly. Well, yeah, tell me the name of that one more fantastic. time. It's called Smaller Church Youth Ministry. No staff, no money, no problem. Smaller Church Youth Ministry. By. Okay. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well as all these others that we've mentioned. So folks can grab that. So if you're driving and you're like, oh no, I'll never remember that. That just you can go to the show notes page and get it later. So, well, cool, man. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks again for giving up your time. I, I appreciate it. I, I do encourage folks to head over, particularly if you're in a small church setting, check out uh, check out Youth Ministry Small Church Podcast. It's a good thing, man. You're doing good things over there, and um, so hopefully, hopefully gotcha. you found uh, hopefully you found this helpful. Reach out to Stephen if you have questions on that. Uh, you can also head over to the Longer Hall Super Secret Podcast Group and comment or ask questions there as well. And uh, we'll do our best there. Chris should be back next week. Yay. And uh, so if he survives camp, he'll be back on that. So uh, check out next week episode as it comes out as well. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show if you are enjoying it and finding it helpful. And head over to Youth Ministry 360 at ym360.com. Be sure to use that promo code LONGERHALL and grab yourself a 20% discount on e-goodies uh so other than that i think that's it that'll wrap it up and do it for today's episode so until next time we'll see ya thanks for listening to the longer hall youth ministry podcast at www.thelongerhall.com 